Life Church is a, it's an online, started out as an online church. It's, it's a giant church, but in 2006, Life Church uh, launched the Uversion app, offering free access to the Bible to anyone who had internet connection. Since 2006, 605 million devices have downloaded the Uversion app. 605 million. Today, Life Version offers, or Uversion offers the Bible in 2,010 languages and 3,031 versions. They're able to do the 3,031 versions because all the, the versions of the Bible, the people who have created those versions and that produce them and publish them, have given them to Uversion for free to make it possible. And version is available again for free. Technology has dramatically decreased the time it takes to translate the Bible into a new language, which is critical to the church's call to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of all nations, we have to be able to communicate the people of different nations in their native tongues so they can hear it and understand what the good news of the kingdom of God is. By 2033, that good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God through version and Life Church and the partnerships that they've created with those versions and other Bible translations companies, by 2033, the Bible will be available, or at least the New Testament, the good news of the kingdom of God will be available to 99.9% .9 of the world in their native tongue. This week, I went online to buy books, to send out text and emails to encourage people from our church and in our community to join up for a rooted group that we're starting this week. I listened to podcasts that um, are really helpful for me as a discipleship tool and for some leadership development. I looked at a movie clip. Um, in preparation for, in hopes of finding something that I might show you this morning. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I read from the Version plan, a, a reading plan that I'm doing. I used the Blue Letter Bible Study, um, which is also an online uh, app, which is a really, really cool app. Blue, Blue Letter Bible is uh, an app that has the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, transliterated with English, so you can look at the English, you can click on any word in the app, and it'll take you back to the original language, that, that word in the original language, and to word studies that are connected to that word with definitions about what that word means and how it's used other places in the Bible. It replaces, it replaces like 15 books, resource books, on the shelves of my office, all in a single app. Really cool, Blue Letter Bible, check it out. Um, I compared versions, different translations, different versions of the Bible in um, the Gateway um, app. I listened to worship music, and I did, as I always do, I used the pause app repeatedly. I also used my um, online access, my internet connection, um, for some less holy but still useful endeavors. I paid bills. I checked the weather. I found directions to some various different locations that I was going to. Um, I logged my runs. I took a lot of pictures and looked at the pictures that I took. 
I followed the search for the um, lost F-35 jet, which is just an absolutely crazy story that you can now, I think, buy on eBay. Um, so, like, news and things like that that are really kind of helpful sometimes for staying connected to what's going on in the world. There are a lot, a lot of useful apps, applications on the Bible. I, I say all this up front to say I'm not a hater of technology. I'm not a hater of the internet. I'm not a hater of social media or, or any of those things. Um, I think they're, they're very useful in, in a lot of different ways. But they do have some trappings that are connected to them. They are used. There are a lot of them, and they are used a lot. The average daily use of screens in the U.S. for 8- to 12-year-olds is 4 to 6 hours per day. 8- to 12-year-olds spend 4 to 6 hours a day on screens. Teens spend up to 9 hours a day. And the average adult in the United States spends 7 hours per day on screens. That is 40% of our waking hours looking at screens. 49%, this was maybe the most surprising, 49% of zero to two-year-olds interact with smartphones. Increased screen time. While it has values, while it has benefits, while it helps us in a lot of different ways, even in translating and getting the Bible out to the whole world, increased screen time has been linked to diminished focus. We're, we're being um, fed so much information so quickly, so easily accessible that our brains simply cannot process all the information that we're receiving. And so it starts moving around and jumping around to try and keep pace with the stuff that's coming in. Diminished focus, right? Anything that we want to do in life that matters requires us to pay attention, to be able to think about that thing in any context of life for a period of time, to focus on it. If you can't pay attention, can you have a meaningful relationship, right? If the person you're talking to is always flipping about and it's challenging, right? I mean, we're already kind of in that place where we're talking to somebody and the phone buzzes and we're looking around, right? How does that affect our relationships? How does it affect our study? How does it affect our work if our minds are always being pulled in different directions? It creates time management issues. If you start scrolling through social media, thinking, I'm just going to check out my Facebook page. I'm just going to look at Instagram for a couple minutes. How often does that couple minutes turn into a few minutes, turn into 30 minutes, turn into an hour and a half, and we don't even realize where the time went? The constant disruptions are also contributing to the lack of focus, reducing our capacity to learn and to produce, to perform. It's creating sleep problems. Children and teens who focus or who have TVs, computers, or mobile devices in their bedroom fall asleep later at night and sleep less. 
exposure to light, particularly blue light from our screens, and, um, and stimulating content from screens can delay and disrupt our sleep. 40% of Americans are chronically sleep deprived. And screens have a lot to do with that. This was stunning to me. The average child sleeps 85 minutes less per night than they did 100 years ago. 85 minutes less. Tired adults become drowsy, more distracted, less focused, less productive. Tired children become more hyper, more distracted, less focused. Increased screen time has led to less life satisfaction. There's two components of this. Part of it is the fear of missing out. So we stay on our screens because we're afraid if we're not on them, something's going to happen in the world or something's going to happen in our, in our um, network of, of friends. Uh, something's going to happen and we're going to miss out on it. So we're always checking to make sure that we're in the loop and knowing what's going on. And the other part of that is that um, we're always making comparisons. And those comparisons, we see what this person is doing and where this person's at and what this person's having for dinner and, and what this person's achieving and this person's relationship. And those comparisons make us less and less satisfied with our situation, with the things that we're doing and the places that we're going. It leads to increased loneliness for some of the same reasons, because we're distracted, because we're comparing. It's a tool. And it's a useful tool. And it has trappings. And those trapsing, trappings, they are not by accident. Every time you post a status update on Facebook, post a picture on Instagram, put something on Snapchat, Snapchat or TikTok, Every time you respond to a tweet or do a search on Google, your activity is being tracked. And every action that we take provides information that is used from that tracking to create profiles of us. This is really happening. I'm not making this up, right? Creates profiles. Those profiles are then used to create a, an overall picture of who we are, what our interests are, what our values are, what our hobbies are, what do we like, what, what don't we like, what are our political leanings, what are our spiritual leanings, what are all, and they create a profile of us that they then sell to people that use that to target us in their advertising. Okay, that's what's going on with all the things that we're doing on it, right? And... So the agenda of the people who create these apps and use them to create these profiles of us is to keep us connected to the internet as long as they can because the longer that we're on, the more information they can track to create a better profile that then they can sell to 
people who want to use it to earn money from us. In this, in this model, your, your attention is the product that is being sold. They're not trying to sell you something in the profile. They're trying to create a profile that, you, that they can sell to other people. You are the product. We are the product in this economic plan. And to keep us online then, they're exploiting, exploiting vulnerabilities in our brain to keep us connected. For example, by design, uh, the, the, the introduction of a new object into our field of vision triggers an orienting response. Right? Something pops up right now that I can see that wasn't there before. My brain is looking at it to orient itself to what that is and determine whether it's a threat or not by design, right? So every time you're looking at a screen and a new image pops up, our brain triggers an orienting response to look at and to see it, and it keeps us connected. And so they keep producing new images that create this response that draws in again. Every notification, every ding, every vibration triggers a chemical response in our brain designed to draw us back. So you finally put it down, you finally walk away from it, you give up on it, and then ding, and it's actually, it's not just, oh, I got to, it's like the, a, a chemical reaction in our brain is telling us, like Pavlovian's dog, to go and look at what is there. They created infinite scroll a number of years ago. It used to be when you logged onto the internet and you would find a page and you would read the page, and when you came to the end of that page, you had to determine what you were going to do next. Then a guy named, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, Aza, Aza Raskin created what we know as infinite scroll. Infinite, infinite scroll means this, that every time you, like, you log on and you get that page, before you get to the bottom of the page, it's predicting what, you will, what will keep you there and feeding you other information so you don't have to make the choice to stay on. You're continually getting more and more information. That product, that addition to our internet, adds and increases every time we log on our time on the internet by 50%. So if you log on for 10 minutes, infinite scroll makes that 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If you log on for a half hour, infinite scroll makes that half hour 45 minutes. If you log on for an hour, we're up to an hour and a half. If we're up to two hours, we're up to three hours. Um, Mr. Raskin has some regrets about his creation and is now actually, actually campaigning with um, the Center for Humane Technology to try and rein in some of these effects. Did a calculation, estimates that every day, 200,000 more lifetimes are spent scrolling through a screen. 200,000 lifetimes Scrolling through a screen because of infinite scroll. 
That's 200,000 lifetimes that could have been doing something else in the world. Helping solve world problems. Helping serve people who are in need. Helping love our neighbors. Helping connect in relation. 200,000 lives every day. Social media apps, they call the people who use them, actually people who use the internet are called what? They're called users. Do you know the only other industry that calls their clientele users? Drug pushers. Tim Berners-Lee um, was credited with inventing the internet. He debated about what he would call it. He ended up landing on the World Wide Web because he says it stressed the decentralized form allowing anything to link to anything, mathematically forming a web. And I wonder if what he meant when he created the World Wide Web was something that looks like this, which was actually the um, clip that I was going to show you this morning was the scene where Frodo was trying to escape Shelob, but it was kind of terrifying. So I decided at the end of the day not to use it, but the reality may be no less terrifying. There is a design in the world. There is a way things work. And everything else in creation does what it does by design. The sun rises in the east and it sets in the west every day by design. Spring, summer, winter, fall. Cycle through every year by design. Every animal searches for food and eats it every day by design. We too were created with a design, but in all of creation, we're unique in this component, this aspect. We get to choose whether we will or will not rise at the beginning of the day and lie down at the end of the day. We get to choose what we will do with our time, how we will use it. We get to make choices, and our choices matter. And choices we make lead to life and abundance and fulfilling and purpose and meaning, or lead to death and destruction, to brokenness, to despair, to anxiety, to depression. Our choices matter. And one of the challenges that comes with this is that our death choices typically come with short-term rewards and long-term consequences. For example, I make a choice whether I will or will not eat sweets every day. And there's an immediate reward to eating the sweet. Peanut M&Ms are delicious. And I get a sugar buzz. It's awesome. I know if I do this, this is going to taste good and it's going to feel good. Now. The sugar crash comes later. Diabetes comes years later. The reward is now. 
the consequence is later. Conversely, life choices often come with rewards later and consequences now. The discipline of not eating the sugar feels like a loss, but later on, I'm healthier and living longer. The discipline of not going on that shopping spree because I'm depressed feels like a struggle, a challenge. Now, but later, I won't have to deal with the debt, the anxiety. What am I going to do now? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay the electric bill? How am I going to pay the, the, the water bill? How am I going to pay the rent? Because I did this here and it had an immediate ward, but the consequences are later. Making our life and chest cho death choices difficult. As it relates to our topic today, we were designed for an embodied existence in a physical world. We were designed for an embodied, like in-flesh existence in a physical world. We were designed, Genesis says, the Lord God made us, formed us from the dust of the earth. We were designed from the dirt, made from physical content, right? And then he goes on to say, for God put, God put them in the garden to take care of it. We were designed from the dirt, and we were designed for the dirt, to be a part of this physical world, to rule over it, to reign over it, to make stuff out of it. The average person spends 93% of their lives in controlled environments. Controlled. Lighting, so we can stay up later at night and sleep less. Controlled climate, so we can turn the air conditioning on or the heat on and stay more comfortable. We live in um, controlled smells. Right? We use air fresheners, so our house doesn't stink. Controlled sounds. There are all kinds of noises around us that aren't part of the natural world. 93% of our lives in a controlled environment. And exposure to natural environments has been linked to a decrease and anxiety, a decrease in rumination, a decrease in depression, right? Being outside actually helps us with all of these components of our life, improving our mental health. Research has shown that cortisol levels are decreased when people in the studies were exposed to natural environments. Cortisone is connected to stress. Cortisol is connected to stress. Go outside, reduce your stress. One study investigated the physical and psychological responses to looking at plants, live and plants in pictures. The participants found um, comfort and relaxation from both a picture of a plant and seeing the actual plant. 
but there was a psychological response observed only after seeing real plants. That there's a different physical response. The mental response is the same, but a different physical response seeing a real plant versus seeing a picture of a plant. Meaning to improved brain function because of seeing a real plant which is improved executive function. What's uh, improved executive function? Um, one of my um, favorite authors, Donald Miller, talks about the difference between of executive function. The other, the, like the opposite, is squirrel brain. Squirrel brain is like, ah! You know, I see this, I want that, I'm gonna, there's a nut here, I'm gonna go over there. Like, executive function, improved, by, di differently by seeing a real plant versus a picture. Real versus artificial. Vitamin D has anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, neuroprotective properties that support immune health, muscle function, and brain selectivity. Your body makes vitamin D when direct sunlight converts a chemical in your skin into an active form of the vitamin. Your body can only absorb calcium necessary for strong bones when vitamin D is present. Vitamin D comes from direct sunlight, and we need it for life. Natural environments lower our blood pressure. They accelerate healing. They did a study with patients in a hospital and found that patients recovered faster, needed fewer painkillers, and left the hospital sooner if they had a, a view of nature from their room. God meets people in nature. Psalm 32, I'm sorry, Psalm 23, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. When God made his covenant with Abraham, he took him outside and he said, look at the stars in the sky. That will be the number of descendants. When he called Moses, Moses was on the far side of the desert at the foot of a mountain, tending sheep. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. It was God preparing them to be his people. John the Baptist began his ministry. He preached in the wilderness and people came out there to hear him. Jesus spent his entire ministry outside, sleeping under the stars and the clouds, by lakes and on mountains. And the Apostle Paul, when he got his call to Christ, he was on a road going to another city. Now, of course, those were nomadic and agrarian cultures, they all spent out time. And it's true, God is everywhere, right? God is, in, is not just in nature. God is in the church. God is in the subway. God is in the basement. God is in the top of the building, right? God is everywhere. In him we live and move and have our being. We don't have to go out for God to meet us. God is everywhere. Still, awareness of his presence knowing that he's there, remembering that he's there, let alone actually connecting to him in a meaningful way, requires our attention. It requires us to focus. 
and all of these other things around us distract us from our focus, what make, which make it harder. Not, to, not that God is not everywhere. It makes it harder us to see him in all these other places because our brain is being pulled in a thousand different directions. So in Psalm 1, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. The joy of those who don't do all the dumb things that everybody else is doing. But they delight in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, right, is delight in the design and the ways that God made us to live and move and have our being. The, the way that he made us to function. The, delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on his word day and night. His design day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbed bearing Fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in they, all they do. We're inundated by distraction at the same time. Our ability to focus is diminishing. Life choices. I'm not suggesting that you dump your smartphone unless you want to. It may not be a bad idea, but I'm not going to tell you to do that today because I know you'd probably throw it at me. But I would challenge you to choose 4D over 2D every time you have a chance. Four dimensions, right? Length, time, width. Length, time, Length, width, depth, time. Every time you have a chance, choose living in the real world, in real time, in real relationships, in real space with real people over two dimensions. Every time you have a chance. If you have a choice to meeting a friend or chatting on Facebook, meet your friend. If you have a chance to take a walk or to watch 30 minutes of TV, take the walk. Every opportunity you have to choose 4D over 2D, choose four dimensions. Try things like your phone will tell you, if you ask it, you may want to, how much screen time you spend every day. It will tell you that. Just look at that time. Find it on your phone. How much screen time? What's my average screen time? And set a goal to, to reduce that by 10 or 20%. And if you, if you achieve that, then try another 10 or 20%. Just start to decrease the screen time that you use every day. Try this. Turn off notifications. Because when you finally do break away and that little ding comes, it draws you back in. You can stop that. You can silence it. You, you really can. Believe me which protects you from being drawn back in. So say, I'm not gonna, I don't need email notifications every time ones arise. I don't need a text notification every time ones arise. I'll just check my email in the morning and in the evening. I'll just check my text, you know, at this time and this time. So we're not always being drawn back into the loop. When you're with people, be with people. Take the phone. Silence it. 
put it away. Be present to the people that you are with. Just some ideas. 4D over 2D. Life choice. Choose real over artificial every chance you get. You don't have to become John Muir or Bear Grylls. But get outside every day, every day. And when you go outside, do it with a sense of purpose. The whole earth, Isaiah said, is filled with the glory of God. <laughs> the whole earth, everything out there is filled with the glory of God. So when you go outside, look for it. Where is God's glory being revealed? Notice things. Notice the trees. Notice the flowers. Notice the air that you're breathing. Feel the weather. Don't close up your windows and lock all your doors and close all your drapes. I open it up. Go outside and walk in the rain or the wind. Sweat a little bit. It won't kill you. Connecting to the world. Looking for beauty and glory. Receive it all as God's gift to us because it is. Everything he designed was made for our pleasure, for our enjoyment. All the stuff that he made that does all it does by design, he made for our use, for our enjoyment. It's all out there for us. Life choices, okay? This is not easy stuff, is it right? Death choices are easy, life choices are hard. I'm not a hater. I don't think the internet is the devil. It's being used for amazing tools. I mean, just simply getting the Bible out to the whole world is an amazing gift. And artificial intelligence scares the heebie-jeebies out of me, but that is actually dramatically increasing the pace at which we can translate the Bible into new languages. It's got an upside. But it also has trappings. And it is a web. And those trappings are not serving our humanity well. And they're not serving us well in many, many ways. And we get to choose. We get to choose. Challenge you to choose life. Lord, um, everything that exists in the world started with the creation that you entrusted to us. And, and you told us to rule over it, to study it, to, to make stuff out of it, to be creators from the things that you create, created. And sin has taken that to some pretty disastrous places. But all the raw materials were the same, and, and I, a lot of the things that we made would still be made, just not used and exploited to our demise and destruction. So I pray for eyes to see the things that are going on around us and the, and the ways that we're participating in the world and, and, and technology specifically, and to make some hard, disciplined choices that will help us 
to deeper, better mental health, to deeper relationships, to healthier bodies and minds, to a deeper capacity to focus and pay attention, which makes it more possible for us to connect with you and grow in a deeper fellowship and communion with you, which is actually the source of the life that we long for. Everything else that we're looking at, everything else that we're pursuing is all in pursuit of communion, fellowship, oneness with you. That Christ has made possible. So show us the path that leads us to life. Fill us with your spirit. Give us the resources that we need to make hard choices, to do hard things. Thank you that there's a design, that when we do that, Lord, we can expect that when we are rooted and founded in you, that we will bear the fruit of your kingdom and the fruit of your spirit, because it's the way it works. I pray in Jesus' name. 